Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writer's Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Please give a round of applause to Paul Shoring. Paul, sit down. Paul is the author of the new novel, The Far Shore, as well as having an esteemed career in television writing. How did you start to make your way? What was the first thing you got paid to write? It was called Dance to Your Grave. No, it was uh, my writing partner, my my ex-writing partner and I were approached by a a production house out of Texas, which is promising. Um, And they had a script that one of the principals in the production company out of Texas had written uh, called Dance Your Grave. And they wanted us to rewrite it for $1,200. How did they find you? Uh, well, my writer, my writing partner was his father was one of the principals on Young and the Restless. So really, they didn't want us; they wanted him to star in the thing, right? Uh, but we figured this is a way to leverage, you know, uh, the relationship. And so the first thing we said we're going to rewrite is the title. <laughs> did you Did you get away with that? Uh, we did. We said it's called Eclipse, and they said that's great. You're hired. <laughs> Do you remember what you got paid for that? It was well. Here's the thing. I actually still have the check in my basement. Really? Uh, well, no, the stub of the check. I needed right, the twelve hundred bucks, but it was supposed to be thirty six hundred bucks each, right? Three installments of twelve hundred, and so we wrote, you know, twelve hundred to commence, and so we commenced, and they wrote us twelve hundred dollars check each, and then we delivered the draft, and we never saw the next twelve hundred dollars or the next twelve hundred dollars, and we learned that Hollywood's a little more difficult than you think. That's horrible. <laughs> right. Um, uh, we're going to sort of jump around in time, uh, and I want to I want to talk about the book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, it looks like this: mm-hmm. the Far Shore. Mm-hmm. There are about there are good good number of copies here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something to be proud of. Right. That's the person who does the ordering for Book right. Soup. Right. Um, why a novel? Why now? Well, it depends on what your what your motivation is. Um, you're a, a TV writer, and um, you can appreciate the. Uh, 
compromises that are associated with writing in Hollywood um, and a lot of backseat driving. And uh, it tends to be that the soul is sapped out of your work. And occasionally you want to have a little soul in your work. And so it's that old notion of one for me and one for you. And I'll, I'll go off and write your thriller. But at some point I want to, you know, it's the cri de cour. I must say something before I die. Um, and it's not zero hour. But that's, that's a lot of... <laughs> That's a lot of pressure on yourself, I would imagine, that, like, for this to be your first novel, for you to have worked in the industry for so long and sort of made these creative compromises, say, okay, I'm going to do one for me, I'm going to be uncompromising, how do you even start to tackle that story? How do you decide what that project's going to be? Well, that's the fun part, right, is that, generally speaking, in this town, the idea comes from someone else or a production company, or, or sometimes it's you, but by the time it you know goes through the whole process, it's been adulterated so much that it's it's not really not that original thing. Um, and so, you know, we write for a lot of different reasons. You know, we write for a living. Um, we write for exposure. Uh, we write for money, uh, but then that original impetus, which is just to write something for itself, uh, was the reason that I wrote this, which is, you know, I want to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and what were you looking to say? Uh, before, and Even before that, I'll start with an easy question. Yeah. What, um, tell us God. about the book. What is it about? <laughs> um, the book is... How do you how do you make this very succinct? But basically, it's about a woman who has little prospect in her life, and she's kind of created this cocoon around herself of of comfort, which is Coors Lights and Klondike bars and lots of cable TV. Um, and she's settled into that life, and she doesn't realize that that's a cocoon because she she's afraid to go out and live and experience you know the headwinds of the world. Um, and then somebody knocks on her door one day and says, "Do you know you're the heir to sixteen million dollars?" And she says, "I like that." Um, and it turns out that her great grandfather went. Mi- I'm sorry, her grandfather went missing in World War II, um, and he had left you know 100 shares of XYZ Corporation, which was bought up by YZA Corporation, and over the years it becomes 16 million dollars. Right now, the SEC won't release it because it's potentially possible that he's still alive. Right, and so the guy's basically saying, "Where's the body?" And so it becomes this whole search for her. What? Who was his grandfather that I never knew? And is it possible to even locate his body in the world? And she goes back and interviews a number of different people and pieces together the story of this man's life, which is really kind of extraordinary. Which is, you know, a man who experienced just the hells of, of war in World War II, and in, and became a medic. And every time he, you know, sewed somebody up, fifty people around him got destroyed, right? And, and what? how could he find a way to persist in the face of that? Um, and he goes on a very spiritual uh, journey. One person kind of likened it to uh, Siddhartha meets Apocalypse Now, which I like. Um, and and she learns from this, right? Which is, you got to get outside your comfort zone. You know, she has her own form of suffering. And it's very much, I mean, candidly, it's, it's, it's a, I'm Buddhist. And so it's, it's a exploration of, of suffering and, and how do we deal with that and how can, how we can persist in life when, when life is so difficult. So, so this is the theme you were trying to, or the ideas that you were trying to explore Mm -hmm. in this book. Um, why do it as a book? Would that translate to another medium or was this always going to be Well, I mean, just walking, imagine walking into a network and going, all right, so it's about the soul. How we make it through suffering. And they're like, awesome, we'll call you. And they'll never call you. <laughs> I mean, you're a good writer. You can dress it up. So you don't have to say it's about the soul, right? Right. I mean, was the, and I, I guess my really my question is, 
why a book? Why now? And can you kind of take us through the process of finding the story? Yeah. Well, that, that's a good question because writing a book, you know, look, I mean, the, the you being reductive, they're both both screenplays and novels are are narrative. But they're very different expressions of that narrative. You know, the screenplays are basically a template, you know, a minimalist template for someone else to render into reality, right? Whereas in prose, when you write something, it's, you know, it, it's symphonic. It, it's, it's when a composer composes music or a dancer is, is dancing, you know, a ballet. There is something ethereal in that creative process that is euphoric, right? And I find that in prose. You don't find that necessarily, well almost ever, <laughs> in writing screenplays. Uh, and so on some level, as I said, and it can sound corny, but it's, it's very important to me, you know, and I remember the young writer that I was, there's still that kernel in me of that writer, which is, I, I want that, you know, I, I want that euphoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's why I wrote it. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to sort of, and I apologize if this is boring to you guys, but I want to, <laughs> uh, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of actually writing this. You know, somebody was asking me the other day about this. Maybe it was a podcast or something. I'm not sure. But basically, they were saying, you know, what's the secret to writing? And um, and there's this there's this idea that people sit down and they, they, they wait till the, you know, the things hit them from the ether. And then they sit down and write because they, they found inspiration. But uh, I, I took a lot of uh, solace from Hemingway when he said, ask plus chair. Right? That's the secret to writing, which is sit down and do it. Right? Uh, and so... I sit down every day and I write, and I'm fearless. And you know, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not, right? But you can always throw away the parts, for the most part. Not always, zero hour. When you, <laughs> um, you know, in in, I find that in terms of the creative process, in terms of the writing process, having that fearlessness is a far less excruciating state than it is to live in constant fear of creating, right? Because most writers and most creators are terrified when they look at a blank canvas or a blank page or a blank stage to go out there and perform upon. Uh, whereas you say, look, I'm fucking going, man. This is it. Let's find out. Yeah, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll suck. But, dude, I'm not going to be scared. Yeah. And that, that, that's liberating to feel that way. Were you always that kind of a writer? Could you always just sit down and do the work? Or did you ever fear getting the idea down? Um... Well, no, I think it's a process. I mean, I've been doing this. I've been writing uh, seriously, you know, intensively for 30 years, um, since junior high, really. Um, And, you know, you have thin skin when you're young and you're a writer, right? I mean, I, I, have, I have this, it's, it's anecdotal, and it's only kind of partially answering your question. But I remember when me, right after... We got the dance to your grave gig. Um, me and my writing partner uh, went in. And we got a, we got our first agent, right? And we had written a new big script that was, you know, we we're going to take out in the in the town. And this agent was giving us notes in the script, right? Um, and you'll appreciate this. But basically, she sat us down and she said, you know, here are the notes. And I sat there with my thin skin. And I had this hardbound journal, and I looked at her with this very studious face, like, oh, please tell me everything. And I wrote down everything she said. And for four pages, all I wrote was, fuck you, right? 
that's how thin-skinned I was. And you know what her notes were in sum total? It was like, it's a Hollywood screenplay. You know, don't give me five pages of, you know, descriptive paragraph. But I'm like, but the moon was pewter. Come on. You have to know that it was pewter. And she, she was right and I was wrong. But that's an example of being very thin-skinned when you're young. And as you get older, you learn to deal with criticism differently, right? Sure. I mean, I, I would say we face different kinds of fear throughout a writer's career. Right. Um, can you talk about some of that, those other learning experiences that sort of helped form you as a writer, that sort of brought you to the place where you could sit down, you know, put your ass in the chair every day and type words to write this very long book? Yeah, very long book. Um, that's a tough question. I mean, I'd have to think about that candidly. They're, they're, you know, I mean, it's all a big, long kind of mm-hmm. picaresque, you know, your, your writing career. It's like one thing kind of accidentally becomes another, and how did I get here and this, you know? Well, let's, I, let's, let's pick on a couple of specific things and, mm-hmm. and sort of take them apart. I mean, like, was there a point at which, you know, you wrote a script that you felt like, this script is doing creatively exactly what I want it to do. Right. I've I've made the thing that's in my brain appear on the page. Right. Well, I would say, I mean, like in terms of, you know, illumination is is you will early on in your career you'll write a script and you'll say, I got it exactly what it's supposed to be. And then you cast it. Right. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> And then a director comes on board and shoots, and you're like, wait two minutes, right? And the editor comes on and cuts it up, and you go, wait three minutes. And then you try to fix it in post, and you can't, right? Because it is a living thing, the, 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 the Hollywood process. And, and you get used to that. Because initially you come in and you think, I'm the auteur, and I'm the one that's going to shape this entire thing. And it's really not about you. It's about the collective. And so you start to see how to work with the collective, and not find it a front to your ego, mm-hmm. but rather to see how to work collectively, right? Um, was there an experience early on where you started to lose that thin skin? Working with Brett Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ratner directed the pilot of Prison Break, and you know I'm a pretty low maintenance guy, pretty um, pretty low key, and I'm not a, I'm not a head butter, and uh, and Brett's. Uh, made of butter um well apparently he's not anymore right he's kind of thin now i think um but anyhow he was a bull in a china shop and i was not accustomed to people acting like they're seven years old and uh and that was very hard for me you know because again i mentioned earlier in the podcast that i'm buddhist and and he was i was pretty close to punching him in the face right um that takes a lot that right. takes a lot for a Buddhist. uh but a lot of people just had to pull me aside and say look you know this is 15 days he's he's directing the pilot and he's doing a good job and you need to calm down and take a deep breath and walk away um and he'll be gone and then the show will go on mm-hmm. and it was really great counsel because he you know at the end of the day him and dante you know spinote the dp shot the hell out of that thing and it looked wonderful mm-hmm. you know what i mean and they really set this template and it was it was it, it was illuminating to me you know because you know what if i punched in the mouth you know what what, what would have fallen apart i don't know um sure right. do you feel uh, on that exp- on that show on that first, sort of first big tv experience um and this can be a good thing or a bad thing but did you start to feel that the story was no longer yours? Oh, yeah. I mean, you've heard the adage. I mean, it's like there's the story you write, the story you shoot, and the story you cut. And again, I mean, that, that, that was this thing where the ship has left, you know, or rather the train has left the station, and it's, um, 
you got to try to work with it as it evolves, you know, as it, you know, moves along because it's not that thing, you know, it's that whole idea of a battle plan. It's a battle plan until first engagement. Right. And it's like, or as Mike Tyson says, it's like, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And, you know, as a creative type and particularly in Hollywood, it's like, well, really the mark of resilience and your aptitude is what you do when you get punched in the mouth, right? Because a lot of people go to pieces and then just like, they point fingers, ah, it's his fault, I quit. And you're like, well, that's not a solution, right? Um, so you, you learn to develop fortitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there, so yeah, as we said, you, you have done quite a bit of TV. Mm-hmm. You did work with a partner early on mm-hmm. uh, on screenplays. What's the benefit to writing not by yourself? Can you talk about that process and and how you took to it or how you learned to work with it? You know, in in reflection, I mean, co-writing is a strange idea. It really is. It's it's two people in the room. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Does he say exactly this? Does he say that or that? And it's just like, you know, you can't get into that creative flow, right? But I think young writers do it a little more than older writers because there's some comfort in having somebody by your side. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you go to a karaoke event and there's like six girls on stage together because they won't go up there single, but they'll go up as six, you know? Uh, And I feel like that's writing teams a little bit, right? Um, So on... Generally speaking, I, it doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but maybe it works. Um, but I would also say that I, I was talking to somebody earlier about this, is this idea that as a writer, like for, for novels, or I paint too, it's like you're the guy in the box. You go into your little space and you close the door and you're the guy in the box and you're creating and you have these euphorias and all the rewards associated with the creative act. But at the same time, you're a dude with the door closed with the rest of the world living and you're in this shadowy interior, right? And the human, you know, the human soul yearns for more. And it's like, you know, Hollywood affords this opportunity to be social collectively and creative collectively. And if you embrace that, it can be really uplifting, you know? So a partnership, I suppose, on that level can, can be rewarding as well. You know? Let's, I, I want to sort of dig in more on the working in the box, uh, as you did on this novel. Um, what did that look like? What did your day-to-day look like? What time did you sit down to write? Did you go straight through? Did you give yourself a word count or a page count? Yeah, I think on that one, it was... I'm a morning guy. I think it's probably the caffeine. That's, mm-hmm. that's when you're... Um, and I think it was always 1,500 to 2,000 a day. For me, I always felt like, look, just keep going. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you can throw it out, right? But in the, the prose writing process, because, you know, feet or sorry, the screenplays are so much about structure, right? You really have to beat the whole damn thing out before you write it, um, which takes a lot of the spontaneity and discovery out of the process. Whereas for me, anyhow, with prose is this idea that I know where I'm starting and I know where I'm going, essentially. And I know that the, the crux of this thing, because it takes longer to write prose, those 1,500 words, 2,000 words a day, you have more ruminative time, Right to think in the in the process and all of a sudden all these parallel avenues of possibility and theme kind of emerge in the process and so it's an entirely different way of thinking in writing creatively yeah. uh, it's a deeper multi-leveled way of writing and it's really rewarding as long as you can kind of keep all those plates right spinning. well that's the trick right? right is keeping all of these notions in your head keeping right. character and story and plot and theme and right. uh, who knows what else um, so how did you do that. Ultimately, those have to take the form of sentences. <laughs> so how do you start to form that? We're really getting deep here. Yeah. Um, 
stand and deliver. I think that's what Jim Cagney said. You know, it's like they asked Jimmy Cagney, they're like, how do you act? And he goes, I stand and deliver. And, yeah. you know, on some level, it's just shoot, man. You can always rewrite it. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and I think that's that's the attitude to take. Did, what did you do when you hit a wall? Did you push through? Do you go for a walk? What What does that look like? Both. I mean, you, you do the dumb shit. Like, you throw stuff across the room. And then the other times, you're like, hey, maybe I'll just walk, look at the redwoods. And, wow, I'm so enlightened. Um, but it's persistence, you know, I mean, it's just, you keep coming back and, and it's, it's, uh, I do a lot of, uh, distance running as well. And it's, it, it's when you feel worse. It's at, it's at your nadir, you know, or nadir. How do you pronounce that? You got it. Okay, good. I'm working on it. Um, that, you know, when you feel miserable, it's like, that's when the character comes out, the, the, your character rather. Um, and you never want to be that guy or that girl in that moment who says, I just fucking quit. You're like, I feel like shit, but I'm going to keep going. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and that, and that in a lot of ways is the most rewarding part of anything is where you can look back in the mirror and say, I, I like the guy that made those choices and hung in in those, those, those tough circumstances. Cause as I said, writing turns everybody into wussies. I mean, everybody quits, you know, uh, and to not quit, then all of a sudden they pay a lot of money. Right. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about some of these specifics of the far shore. Mm. Uh, why the frame story? You know, it seems like you have two stories going on here. The woman discovering her, her grandfather. And both stories sound compelling. Um, where, where did that structure come from? You know, I, I think it's part of that exploration, um, which was, again, I, I set out here to to explore and you know i think there must be four or five different styles in that book um and i just you know which style do i like writing in today right um and i initially started here here's kind of a pro tip as devin might say um is if you read the lily sections i i made because uh, initially one one of the difficulties i have starting stories particularly prose is you come out of the gate on page one and you want to get genius down on page one and you're so tight that you don't actually get anywhere it becomes overwrought and it's too much of everything and then the whole process falls apart and so i did that a couple times with the start of this book and i said you know what one sentence paragraphs that's it one no paragraph can be longer than one sentence it's a simple idea right and what's great about that is if you, there's a paragraph you dif- disagree with, then you just redline it and put one sentence in this place, right? <laughs> and it really allowed me to get going, mm-hmm. right? And it allowed me to get through those first 80 or 90 pages or whatever it is. And all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe I can write some paragraphic stuff now, right? Um, but I wanted a lot of different people to speak in different languages um, or, sorry, in different styles. Um, but anyhow. Um what uh, what did rewriting this book look like? Same thing. I mean, what I try not to do, what what I learned over time, my, rather, my method over time. Initially, I was that writer who would sit down, young writer, and write the first five pages and then go back and go, well, hold on, what's that like? Can I can rewrite that before I go on to the next? And now I never look back. I write and I push all the way to the end uh, because that allows me not to freak out and it allows me to push all the way to the end. But more importantly, when you do come back to rewrite it and edit it, that that first chapter and the second chapter and the third chapter 
are fresh. You're like, who wrote this? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you haven't looked at it. Yeah. You're like, I forgot I wrote that. It sucks. Sure. Right? Uh, how did you go through many drafts of this book or iterations? I should say. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even know. I'm I'm not a 25 draft guy anymore. You know, I'm like three or four kind of thing. Okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, and from whom did you get notes? Did you send it to people before an editor? Yes. Um, I went to a number of people and trusted readers. Yeah. But it's really interesting. That's all. That's an art unto itself as a writer, which is to (laughs) get disparate notes from all sorts of people that are really quite certain of their notes. And then you're like, but what's the commonality ultimately? What's the essential note here? Right. And that's really an art. Right. Uh, Because you can't get lost in the weeds and the details of this, you know, note or that one. But to to go, okay, everybody hates this book. (laughs) Why? (laughs) How can I fix that? (laughs) What, What did you learn about the book by showing it to people? Well, people respond to a lot of different things. I mean, yeah. again, it's just, it, you kind of, and it's, it, as I said, it's a multifaceted book. There's a lot of different things going on, a lot of different scenes, and a lot of different people respond to a lot of different things. And I kind of like that, mm-hmm. right? Because in some level, it's unpredictable, right? Uh, what kind of a reader were you growing up, and what kind of stuff do you enjoy now? Well, it's interesting. I was, you know, very much the young kind of literary boho kind of, you know, lost generation, beat generation, all that stuff growing up. And, and I think that was really wonderful, formative stuff for me. You know, yeah. what, what do you take from that as a writer? Well, I mean, what was great about Hemingway was simplicity. You know, Kerouac was just fucking right, man. Hopefully people <laughs> like it. Um, and, and that's emancipating. I mean, it really is. You know, what's interesting now is it's very hard for me to watch drama or to read fiction. I don't. I don't do it much because I know I've been in this business long enough. Of I know how the sausage is made, and so you can see how what they're how they're manipulating you. But nonfiction certainly and documentary is is really appealing to me. Oftentimes we are, as writers, especially prose writers, described as the sum of our influences. And mm-hmm. if we can bring anything to it, we're lucky. Right. Um, do you look at the Far Shore now and see other writers in it? It, it? There are some strange references. I remember the first time I read Cormac McCarthy without, with the you know, non-punctuated dialogue and that kind of stuff. And I wanted to shoot myself in the first 20 pages. I'm like, this, I, this is nonsense. I'll, th- I can't read this. And then I gave it one more chance. And it's so immersive the way that that, that pulls you in because you have to pay more attention to the dialogue. Who's saying this? When does that start? And when does the, the prose itself begin? And so I, I use that here. And I don't know that Lily is exactly a, a McCarthyan figure. Uh, but stylistically, it's like that. And then I think if you look at some of the gray sections, it's probably some Herman Hess in there, probably because that was very, you know, part of my stylistically or thematically. I think mine's a little more flowery than Hess, probably. But same idea, you know, the guys going out there in the world trying to figure out, you know, what the lint in their belly button means. What is what's the fun of prose for you? Is writing fun for you? Many writers don't like it. Well, I hate hearing writers that say, I don't like writing. I like having written. Sure. I hate that statement. I hate it. Um, I, I think, again, writing done right or any creative act done right, you know, it's funny. I went through uh, my hometown a couple of days ago and to pick up my son at a neighbor's house, and there was a guy out by the creek uh, playing a saxophone. And he's just sitting there playing the saxophone to the creek. And I was like, 
that dude's a fucking loon. And then I'm like, hold on, that guy's genius. That guy's not trying to sell a pitch of his saxophone play, you know, to Warner. He's just out here, he's like, hey, Creek, listen to this. I'm like, that's awesome. That, that's, that's creative expression. Um, and for me, prose can be that. And, you know, a lot of people say it's better than a drug. It's better than sex. Um, you can debate those things, but... Um, it is a great high. It is a great euphoria when creativity, when you, when you reach that zone. And the only way you reach that zone is if you sit down day in and day out and attack, attack, attack. And then all of a sudden things spiral and you get caught up in this, in this up, updraft of you know, just creative inspiration. And it's, it's holy. And, and I think in some ways, a lot of writers chase that. It's chasing the tail of the dragon, right? You know, you want that high again. Can you get that from television or film writing? I cried at the end of one of the scripts I wrote. The tears were splashing. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not being sarcastic. The tears were splashing on my keyboard. So on some level, yes. Um, but having said that, you're the dancer out there. When you dance on the floor and you've left the ballet on the stage, there's no further interpretation of it. The expression is done, right? So it's complete. And you as a creative you know, force have said your thing, and it cannot be adulterated. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as I was talking about in the collective or creative process of Hollywood, you write this great moment in a script, and you're like, that's awesome. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right? Because a million, well, first of all, they probably won't get filmed. But then who's going to play the role and who's going to shoot it and what kind of crappy music are they going to put over it and you know, all that stuff. Um, but on some level with prose, you go, this is it. This is it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you ever saw that Warner Brothers cartoon where Bugs Bunny is playing Yosemite Sam in Blackjack. And Yosemite Sam's delivering the cards and Bugs Bunny gets his first card and he says, can I just stand on one card? And Yosemite Sam thinks that's funny. He's got Bugs Bunny beat, right? And Bugs Bunny holds the card up and it's a 21 of hearts, right? <laughs> um, but there's something wonderful about saying I live or die by this moment mm-hmm. right which is this is my creative express totally unadulterated it can't go any further than this it's either sucks or it's great you decide but but I've left it on the on the field yeah mm-hmm. uh, do you feel that way with this book yeah that's great yeah. what a good feeling yeah. does that mean we're going to get more books out of you far short too <laughs> um <laughs> We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yes. It, 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 it's very emancipating to be able to come up with an idea um, and not have to get through the eye of the needle of the Hollywood you know, distillation process where they say, yes or no, it's provisional, maybe. You just say, no, I'm the arbiter. Here's what it is. It's yeah. going to be down, and it's going to be a complete story, and it's going to be out there, and that's wonderful. Um, so you, you're not going to revisit these characters. Speaking of revisiting characters... So this prison show is coming back. Yes. <laughs> A lot of fans here. I think all of the writing staff is here. Um, how how was that revisiting this this world after so many years? Um, and what brought you back? Let's see how I can reduce this to the least boring version. Um, you know, Wentworth and Dominic were working on another. We still are working on another show, but they had said, you know, to each other, "Let's do it. Um, let's see if we can get Paul on board." 
Uh, and, you know, Wentworth um, was very unhappy at the end of season four. He, you know, he wanted off the show and it was just, it was time to end the show. And, and, um, and I said, well, look, I mean, first and foremost, you have to have him engaged and wanting to be back. And so me and him sat down and he looked wonderful. You know, he, he looked just the same and his hair was a little bit grayer, but, you know, really engaged. So I'm like that, that, that box is ticked. Right. But then you need to have a great story. And I thought, you know, well, what happened? Cause I didn't watch the last two seasons of prison break. Um, I wasn't involved and, and I'm like, Oh, they killed him and they removed his tattoo. Um, okay. So that's somewhere to start. Um, and was it, do you like that kind of puzzle? I actually did. I mean, if I couldn't find the answer, I wasn't going to make the show. But, I mean, I'm like... It's an interesting challenge. Right. And I I was like, well, look, all right, we have to bring a main character back to life. Um, And then, you know, the heart of the story, obviously, is this woman that he married in episode 81 um, and sired a child with. So it has to be about a man who comes back to life and he crosses the world and his whole thing is he must get back to his the wife that doesn't know he's still alive still alive and the son he's never seen and I'm like oh wait that's the odyssey right and I'm like well that's kind of cool if we tell the story the odyssey and that's prison break this year and it's only nine episodes it's a close-ended story like the the odyssey going back to Ithaca I'm like I'll do that that's cool and so this is this is my favorite part of the story is I went into Fox and went in to pitch them, Dana and Gary, and I was like, you know, here's my genius, you know, whole spin on the new prison break. It's the Odyssey. It's genius. And I walk out of there. I'm like, they loved it. I killed it. And then I got in the car and I drove away and I thought, well, you know what? That show makes so much money for them. I could have probably peed on the carpet and they would have said, (laughs) yeah. Right. Saved yourself a little time. Right. So (laughs) what about this? You know, it's an interesting (laughs) thing, though. I mean... That that could engage you, right? You found the story that could engage right. you, that could get you excited. Though, that said, it's a whole other thing to now have to break the Odyssey over nine episodes. Right. Um, how was that process for you? Um, I mean, you hired a room. That does make it easier, right? Yeah. I mean, we actually had fun. It was me and Mike and Vaughn Wilmont, and we just, you know, just banged our heads against each other. It was pretty easy. It was all, you know, and plus we didn't have any time. I mean, you know, what was so interesting about the, 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 the project was that we had all these actors at like Rockman Dunbar, um, who, um, who have moved on, you know, in their careers and they all have very successful careers. They're all working at all these different shows. And then we're, we have to pull them all together for this show. And so it was this crazy small window. I already know seven weeks or nine weeks or whatever it was. Yeah, and they were all filming on top of each other, and we had to sh- we were simultaneously shooting in Morocco and Vancouver, two units at the same time. Uh, so it was really a lot of gymnastics to put the show together. Um, and because of that, there was a very specific window we had to, to, to hit. And so we only had, I think, as a writing staff, I think we had, it's like, okay, go. You have to break the whole thing and shoot or write them in two months. And we're like, Okay. Yeah. It's doable. It's TV. Let's go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, what's what's next? So so this the prison break show is coming uh, back. Do you know when that is on? April fourth. Okay. So we'll nine p.m. Tuesday night. Fox. There you go. Uh, what's next for you? I mean, look, you you've written this novel. I'm sure this has opened up a whole uh, uh, well of things that you want to sort of jump into. Do you know what the next writing project's going to be? Especially the next prose writing project. I won't ask you to talk about. Uh, pro, yeah, prose um, is going to be about 19th century grave robbers. Um, 
I just sold a feature that I can't talk about. Okay. Uh, and TV, uh, I can't talk okay. about. Let me. You can't talk about this. How do you balance these things? Just attack, man. I mean, you know. Well, you can't attack all of them at once. Well, do, do you know, How do you just, divide up your day? I'm really asking. <laughs> I'm really asking. Um, I'm really trying to answer. Um, I just keep going, man. Keep attacking. I mean, you know, it's like knock it out, knock it out, knock it out, next one. Knock it out, knock it out, knock it out, next one. Um, and then when they're giving you notes on that one, rewrite the other one. I mean, you know, it's... Again, writers have this amazing ability to procrastinate and waste time and wait for inspiration. But if you're writing 2,000 words a day, you can get a lot of shit done. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time. Please give a round of applause. Hey! And you're going to read... Do you have a, a copy that you're reading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to do a little reading for you now. Now leaving Nerdist.com.